everyone. It's Jim Sirk. Welcome back. I really appreciate you joining in. Well, everybody's under stress. Everybody's going through um, unknowns right now. And I couldn't be more excited for all of us for the guest on this podcast because not only is he a positive human being, not only does he look things in the eye and calls it out for what it is, doesn't sugarcoat it, but is a very optimistic human being, is very optimistic about what's going to happen in our healthcare system, but is also very, very um, uh, direct on the fact that there is a new normal out there. There's no doubt about it. Our field has changed. It doesn't mean it's bad. It just means it's changed. I put out a post last week about augmenting our skill sets as we enter this new environment and we can do it and we can stick together and we can grow together and we can make things happen just to better our healthcare system. And Aldo Dente is my guest. He is the company group chairman of Depew Synthes, which is obviously the orthopedic division company of Johnson & Johnson. And Aldo is just an incredible individual. He is a pure gentleman. And I don't say that um, lightly, as you will hear him through this podcast. He walks you through his career in a very humble manner. And then he provides advice in, in the same type of demeanor. And he shares things with us that says, you know, he says, you know, take on new challenges. Don't, you know, short yourself out of opportunities because you don't think you have the skill sets to do it or have you never done it. He's saying, do it, go for it, stretch yourself, take those um, skill sets that you're going to gain with you for the rest of your career because they're probably going to be stronger than if you just stayed in the same path that you're going down. Um, he talks about, you know, from a career standpoint, don't take titles. Don't worry about titles. Think about skill sets that you're going to enhance. And don't think about the next job that you're going to get, but the one after that. I've never heard that advice before. So it it's really good. It's refreshing. We do we do talk about the COVID crisis because it's on the front of our minds. I asked him a question. What are the top three, four things that you think are going to change in healthcare? And so he talks about telehealth and digital health and what that impact means for us. Um, he talks about sales rep access. It's a big deal. We're all talking about it. We're all thinking it. We're all wondering what it's going to be. And he dives into that, and I dive into it a little bit. And I do believe, as I put out in a post last week on LinkedIn, that there are technologies out there that are going to enable and augment our skill sets to bring more value to the healthcare system. We're not going to be replaced. We're just going to be better at what we do in an environment that needs us to think about the patient, and the safety of the patient, you know, just from this COVID crisis. Um, we, we talk about what he's excited about in orthopedics, like a fully integrated platform in which drills, robots, image-guided type systems are all talking to each other. Pretty exciting stuff. And we talk about what's not going to change. And what's not going to change, I'm not going to tell you. You got to listen to the podcast. 
I'm going to apologize. Um, I'm at home. You'll hear my dogs barking in the background. And uh, nothing I can do about that these days. So um, please sit back, listen to the podcast. It's well worth the ride. And uh, without further ado, let's get at it. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Medical Sales Nation. I am uh, excited to have this guest with us today who I've known for probably about 25 years. We we worked together back at the sophomore Danic days and the Medtronic sophomore Danic days. His name is Aldo Dente, and he is the company group chairman at Depew Synthes of Johnson & Johnson. So, Aldo, welcome. Welcome to the Medical Sales Nation. Thank you so much, Jim. It's uh, it's honestly a pleasure to speak to you, and uh, it's always great to uh, spend a moment with somebody who I've known so long, and uh, I, I cherish a lot of memories from our time together. So it's fantastic to reconnect. Yeah, it is. I was I was telling my wife. I said, you know, you and I basically were were growing together through that organization, and I told her I'd show up at the at the office in Memphis, and I go. I said, Aldo would make me laugh until I was crying, you know, I was crying, I was laughing so hard, we had a good time, and so, uh, it's such a, obviously, a very, uh, you know, a lot of talent there to to do what you've done with your career, and um, I, I want to start there, because you do have an amazing career, and I uh, I just wanted to maybe share with us your background on where sure. you started, how you uh, how you got to where you are today, I think that's a great way to start. Yeah, listen, thank, first of all, thank you uh, for the compliments. And uh, look, uh, absolutely a pleasure to give you my career. And what I would say for the audience is, you know, I always like to remind people there's no one path to get to your destination. There's multiple paths. This is just my destiny. You know, this is my path. It doesn't happen to be the only one. But I'm, I'm very fortunate that I come from a, a family of healthcare providers. So my mom uh, is a nurse and my father is a, a, a doctor and he's actually a tropical medicine specialist. So, you know, obviously with things going on today, he, he knows more than most about these things. Wow. So, uh, yeah, I've been, uh, I, I'm unfortunately surrounded by a lot of news on COVID from some people that know more about it than I do. But, um, but, you know, being from a family with that background, I've always been surrounded by people who obviously have put them, you know, the others in the public interest ahead of themselves. And, you know, I had, um, I didn't actually, my calling wasn't actually medicine. I went into a study economics and business and um, I had a, an unfortunate situation with a brother. Uh, my brother had leukemia when I was 18. Uh, well, he it was more younger than that, but he passed away when I was 18. He was 16. And mm. uh, yeah, so very, very tragic moment in my life. But what it did do, uh, Jim, is it crystallized for me one thing very clearly that, that when I was done with school, Instead of focusing on economics, I decided that I needed to take a path that had that had more meaning to me, and um, and I decided in that moment in my life was a very big opening moment for me to say I should redirect my passion towards healthcare. So while I obviously had missed the window to become a doctor or do that, I was very uh, lucky that after college in Canada, I uh, I actually got a job in Switzerland of all places. My parents were living in Switzerland at the time, and I started my career as a trauma product specialist in Switzerland. Oh, wow. Yeah, so crazy departure. You know, uh, I was dealing with all the university hospitals in in Switzerland, and um, you might laugh because you'll probably get it. I'm sure some of the other audience members will will get a chuckle out of this. My first job 
was selling trauma uh, equipment for a company called Howmedica, which is now Stryker. Right. Um, and at the time, Howmedica had a series of X-fix, uh, external fixation devices, and had a series of intramedullary nails. And, um, you know, I was straight out of college. I didn't know much. But my number one competitor was Synthes in sure. Switzerland. Yep. Yep. So as you know, yep. Synthes is from Switzerland. It yep. ma- was made in Switzerland, designed by Swiss surgeons. So me selling American-made uh, products, or for an American company at least, and trying to sell into the Swiss market was, I can assure you, not the <laughs> easiest job. So um, yeah, it was a tough gig. So I, that's, how I, that's how I started. But um, one thing led to another. I went into uh, product marketing after that in Switzerland, and then I... They asked me to go and manage uh, European product marketing for external fixation. And then that led to a job in the United States, which is the first time I went to the U.S. So I landed in New Jersey. This is all pre-striker. And, um, and I ran, then I ran uh, external fixation and some trauma products globally. And then uh, the acquisition of Stryker happened. And um, I decided that wasn't for me. So I made a jump. And uh, that's actually when I started with Sophomore Danic. I got a job in France, in Paris. And if you remember sophomore, yeah. uh, obviously the French side of sophomore organic, I ended up going to the French office in Paris and helping them get ready for the acquisition of Medtronic. Um, that was my first job. And then I got brought to Memphis, which is where you and I met. So yeah. I uh, ended up coming to Memphis, running Thorica Lumbar, um, you know, management for the company for sophomore organic, and then now Medtronic. And then, uh, as you know, I started to develop the business unit for minimally invasive spine. So had the pleasure of working on Sextant and a number of other cool, yeah. cool toys that you and I worked on together. And, um, and that was fantastic. And that, that lasted until 2004. So just give you some time boundary. And then t- in 2004, I, I decided I wanted to go experience something a little smaller. Um, and I went to what at the time was called Ripe Medical. Sure. So, uh, so you might remember the right medical days. I went there for two years um, running their total recon business. So joints, in this case, it was hips and knees and, and some of their elbow and upper extremity stuff. Uh, and then in 2006, I made the jump to Depew, uh, at the time, Depew Spine. So, um, so I, um, I went to Boston and then, then I ran all of their cervical and all of their vertebroplasty uh, business, Re- recreated that entire business unit. And then, uh, and then that's when my career, career really took off. Johnson & Johnson decided to take me over to Europe to run Depew uh, Spine Europe, Middle East, and Africa. So I was running the entire business over there. Um, really cool uh, you know, assignment, living in Switzerland. So I kind of came full circle to the start of my career, went over to Switzerland again. And uh, I had the pleasure of reconstructing that business unit from scratch. It was a pretty, uh, pretty bad situation. I think we were about negative 2% growth. And then, and then, you know, with that comes the the need to reconstruct the business completely, right? So we reconstructed all of marketing, all of sales, all the commercial leaders, re-engineered all the P&Ls, and, uh, and that was a lot of fun. Um, and that was a, a very cool job. And, and from there, they asked me to run Depew, all of Depew's businesses. So now I tacked on spine, neurosurgery. I had the sports medicine equipment as well. And then, of course, I re-got joint reconstruction again. So, so now I'd expanded my, my position in Europe. So you can imagine... You know, just reconstructing the spine business, and then all of a sudden you got to reconstruct the entire orthopedic business in Europe across all those geographies. So, more complexity, but again, a very cool assignment. And then we purchased Synthes. Um, so I had the pleasure of integrating uh, Synthes into uh, into the Pew for Europe, 
And that was, uh, obviously, you can imagine the Sinti's footprint in Switzerland was huge. So I was already there. So that was a very interesting assignment to help, you know, how do you bring such a massive company into another big company? So we uh, re-engineered that whole thing for Europe. And then my assignment in Europe was up and I took a, a very radical departure, something that most people probably don't know. And I went from being sort of a medical device expert in orthopedics to something completely different. Um, I actually moved from Zurich, Switzerland to Jacksonville, Florida. And I, I uh, entered the vision business. And in fact, I entered the vision business through contact lenses. So that's um, crazy. I, I saw that on your on your profile. And yeah. I did not know that, you know, so that was well, first off, you've had some incredible um, challenges integrating companies, especially a company like Synthes with that strong AO culture. Right. And um, what what did you, what was the biggest one or two things that you learned from trying to take these two different cultures, bring it together under a, you know, the, the Johnson and Johnson brand? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's a great question. And I've learned so much from that experience. And, you know, you know, someday, honestly, I've said, I need to put this all on paper, but you know, the first thing I would tell you, and uh, you know, when I went to vision care, which is the AccuView contact lens business, we ended up acquiring another company called Abbott medical optics. So everything I'm going to say now actually, you know, is was put to benefit for that acquisition because another very large acquisition. And I'll tell you, Jim, the, the number one thing that I learned is that you have to define who you want to be. You know, both these companies had incredible cultures, incredible destinations, quite clear on what they needed to be. But once you bring two companies together, that that destination is gets very murky. Right? You have to redefine who the company needs to be. And, you know, obviously I exited the Pew Synthes and went to another to Vision Care for Johnson & Johnson. But if, if I had stayed at the Pew Synthes, what I would, the number one thing I would have worked on, which is what I'm working on now, because I didn't, I didn't get around to how I actually came back to the Pew Synthes, is culture. You know, you have, to, you have to make sure that everybody in your company, when they wake up in the morning, they understand exactly what it is that they're here to do. What is our, pur- what is our purpose? What is our passion? What is it that drives our company? And if it's not for you, then that's okay, right? Not, it's not for everybody. When you change cultures and you change destinations, sometimes people decide that's not quite for them. But it is so important to redirect the employees and the entire group of work, you know, obviously of everybody working in the company to understand what are we here to do? And I will tell you, that was missing. Interesting. That just, yeah, it was completely missing. They just assumed two big, big companies come together. It's going to be great. You know, we're going to move this company forward. But, you know, you know, and, and, you know, of course, there's complexities in financials and there's complexities in R&D and, and all the manufacturing. But that's not the tough part. The tough part is actually getting employees to believe that you can win. Yeah. Well, well it's interesting because it, my career has been in the startup side and through, I don't know, four, four exits being acquired, um, it, being a small company getting acquired – there is no discussion about culture. The, the acquiring company, the large company, they take it and within 12 months has, um, ha- has integrated that smaller company into the larger company. So that's why what you're saying, just from two large companies coming together, um, that happening or not happening and not knowing what they want to be, I, I find that fascinating. Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a big dilemma, right? And I think, you know, when you're a smaller company, as I've experienced and you've experienced, you know, culture sort of happens naturally because you, by default, smaller companies, less employees, you, you kind of have a chemistry with each other. But when you get to bigger scale, you know, sometimes that's lost. 
and uh, and then people start to you know get more siloed, and then maybe the collaboration doesn't quite click the way you wanted it to, and then maybe people people lose sight of the destination, and then the priorities don't get set the, quite the same way that you thought they would because everybody starts to have their own priorities, and see all of that you know in my mind the the, the root cause of of that is culture and sure. vision and purpose. Yeah, no, and that's that's leadership has to take over from there, right? I mean, somebody's got to take the reins and go, this is what we're, we have to do collectively with a yeah. team, but somebody's got to take that first step. So tell me right. also, I'm interested, so you go from the device world into consumer products. Yeah. What what was the biggest, oh my gosh, what did, you know, was this, uh-huh. what, what did I get myself into or was it, oh my gosh, you know, there's there's a lot of things to learn that I can adapt and take with me back to devices. Yeah, you know what? Um, both, I have to say. So I made, I made as, as everybody, I made a lot of mistakes. Um, you know, I'm, I'm now at this point an experienced orthopedic operator or medical device operator. I go to this consumer business, right? Which you think, okay, contact lens, right? I mean, you know, this is going to be med tech. It's going to be similar. Oh, I can tell you there, it, that could not be further from the truth. <laughs> it, it, it is so, so different. And so, first of all, assuming that I could just trans, transpose some of my skill sets immediately over to this business was was a mistake. And I did come in thinking that I could operationalize some of my, you know, what I had learned over my career and immediately take it on. And what I found is that I ended up, first of all, slow down. I had a, I have a great boss who at the time is the person who, who's still my boss today, who told me sometimes you got to slow down to go faster. Yep. And, yep. and I, I was getting a lot of feedback at the beginning that, you know, I was trying to morph this company into something that it wasn't. And so I, I ended up taking a big pause and saying, you know what, I got to go out and learn the business, really listen to the stakeholders, really try and understand, you know, this new side of things. The consumer, you know, it's a dual business. You have consumers and you have healthcare professionals. We call them ECPs, eye care practitioners. They have different needs. So, you know, I'm not, no longer dealing with one channel, like the orthopedic channel, doctors, principally doctors. Now I'm dealing with multiple channels. I've got Walmarts. I've got con- so you know big purchasing organizations. I've got consumers who are buying directly. I've got um, ECPs or eye care practitioners who are buying independently for their practices. All of them had different needs. So first thing I had to do is just understand the business model and slow down. Um, and then second, acquire skill sets that I didn't have. How do I effectively uh, you know, understand digital marketing? How do I effectively understand consumer marketing? What are the levers that I can pull that are different? The professional side for me was easy because I knew how to do that. Sure. Because that's kind of similar to what I always did. But this whole consumer side was completely new. You know, we're dealing with celebrities who are spokespeople. You know, we're dealing with very large um, brand uh, budgets in terms of marketing. So one thing you may not realize is AccuView is the largest consumer brand at Johnson & Johnson. It's bigger than Tylenol and Baby combined. You're kidding. No. I never would have brand. thought that. Yeah. It's a very, very large brand. It, it On average, AccuView touches 50 million people every single day. Holy cow. So, you know, you're talking exponentially different to touch points than sure. what I had experienced before. So so what I would tell you is, is um, listen, learn, uh, then... In, in digest, I'd say that's important. And then from there, go and make a plan. But when, you know, I'm, as you've known me for a long time, I'm a pretty action-oriented guy. My, my instinct was to go in fast and just tear it up. 
and, yeah. and try and re- revitalize it as quickly as I could. And what I learned is I had to slow down. Yeah. Isn't that the orthopedic way though? Right. That's what we learned. We grew yeah. up in, right. You've got to run yeah. fast, run hard, you Correct. know, uh, break things, you know, and then fix them as you're going 800 miles an hour. Well, it's inter- it was interesting because you and I, I didn't know that. So I joined Danik when it was Danik. And then it was like nine months later, the sophomore Danik merger went through and um, I left in 2003, you left in 2004, and um, went to a startup to compete against Medtronic called Advanced Bionics. Now it's Boston Pain. And they acquired it. I went to the cochlear implant business after that um, mm-hmm. with Advanced Bionics. You talk about it, di- like you're seeing a different culture. It was, it it was. I was actually told the president of the company, Jeff Greiner, um, you know, we we became friends and close, and he's a mentor of mine still today. Said um, he goes, Jimmy, you cannot build uh, and manage this organization like you did over at uh, the pain side, and uh, and I learned really quick what that meant, and and he said the same thing to me. He's like, you're going to have to bring your level of speed down until you understand what's going on and then you just ratchet it up slowly. So same same type exactly. of experience but yep. a little different. Okay, so how did you get back from the vision side back over then to the to the pew? Yeah. So we had a you know Acuvue was an underperforming business um, again around negative 2, you know, and then we we reconstructed the whole thing. Um, so you know put new new commercial teams in place, new put new marketing teams in place. Frankly built up new capabilities too with very cool e-commerce capabilities uh, so we, we spent a lot of time on digital and then we acquired uh, you know not just you know I was just helping obviously one of my responsibilities was helping the management team there decide the future so we ended up buying a, a company called Abbott Medical Optics and then we created Johnson what is now Johnson & Johnson Vision which instead of having one division Vision Care which was contact lenses now has two divisions Vision Care and then uh, Johnson & Johnson Surgical Vision which is uh, you know it's IOL so cataract implant and, and basically LASIK. So that was another integration. I learned a lot from that. But in, in 2014, um, you know, my boss at the time who was running, so she was the company group chairman at the time for Johnson & Johnson Vision, um, was promoted to run all of Johnson & Johnson medical devices. And um, she is now obviously on the executive committee of Johnson & Johnson. Sometime after that, um, she, um, she rang me up and said, look, you know, we are looking for uh, somebody who can revitalize our orthopedics business, and you know, obviously they knew my track record, sure. and um, and said, look, would you would you care to come back and, and help uh, you know revitalize the uh, synthes? And to be to be honest with you, um, I you know the phone call wasn't expected. I never thought I'd step foot in orthopedics again. To be honest with you, I thought I was kind of done because I'd kind of departed into this new world. But um, I'll be honest with you, it's been a, a real blessing. I. Uh, I, had, I was missing orthopedics. I didn't realize how much until my dad and I had a conversation. And I said, Dad, um, what do you think? You know, I got this opportunity to go back into orthopedics. And he said to me, you know, all you've done for the last five years is tell me how much you miss orthopedics. I don't even know why you're talking to me. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that was quick. That's good. Well, that's a good, that's a good story. So, um, so Ed, you've gone through this transition, like you said, um, and you've made mistakes. We all make mistakes. What advice you'd give to somebody? Because, and I know it's your own journey, and you said it. It's your story. There's multiple paths. But what, are there any two or three or four overarching inner guides that you use to lead your career? And then, can you? And then, how do you take 
what your experience is because we are just an accumu- accumulation of our life experiences and share that with your, with your team. How do you leverage yeah. that? Yeah. So, uh, you know, a couple of things, and I wish I could give you a, a, a short answer, but it, I'll try and make it as brief as I can. Look, the first thing I would tell you is I learned early on that one should never constrain themselves to think that you can't do something. Um, you know, life can be very daunting and challenges can seem sometimes insurmountable. So as you can imagine, when somebody said to me, hey, would you like to go run Johnson & Johnson's largest consumer brand? You can imagine what was going through my head. Um, you know, you have to just accept that sometimes you have more in you than you think. And you got to make the jump into, th- into areas that might be extremely uncomfortable. So my first area of advice would be always stretch yourself and never, never turn down something that can help you achieve something that you not, never thought you could. Sure. The, the, second, the second thing I would tell you is um, never think about the next job. Think about the job after that. Interesting. So I, I always think in two jumps and, and not because I'm interested in promotion because that's not how I'm built. You know me, but what I'm, what I'm mostly interested in is what do I want to do after like what, first of all, what skill sets am I going to gain through the new opportunity? And then how does that prepare me for what I really want to do after that? Um, and I think you gotta, you gotta think in those increments because otherwise sometimes jobs, the next immediate opportunity is really just a stepping stone to something else. And you've got to accept that. Like I, I've, I've gone up in the organization. I've gone down in the organization to go back up. I've gone sideways to go back up. I've gone down again. I've gone up. Sometimes, and I've done it as a function of trying to prepare myself for what what I was interested in. So my other piece of advice is don't chase a title. Chase opportunity. That's great. And then the third one, Jim, I would say is always surround yourself with people that have passion and that are smarter and more effective at, at doing the things that, you know, that you want to do. So I have an amazing team. Uh, I think one of the things I spend a huge amount of time on is trying to make sure that I surround myself with people that I trust and people that I have fun with. Um, and we have a lot of fun and we have a great culture and it's not always, you know, it's not always fun, but you know, the team that I have is always resolute and they always bring me back from when I'm having a bad day and I have to <laughs> do the same for them. So that's great. I think, I think that's those are the three things I'd say. Surround yourself with great people. Think in two in increments of two for jobs, and never don't take don't not do not not take an opportunity that you think can build you. That's great, great advice. Well, thanks for sharing that. So now I want to jump into because um, we are in the in this really crazy times right now, and uncharted waters. Um, how um, how are you? How is Johnson and Johnson, you know, thinking about today, right? Next sixty days. I think that's almost how we have to think about things. At least that's how I'm looking at it. The next sixty days, six months from now, and a year from now, with what's happening. Yeah. Look, I think the first thing is obviously I don't think anybody could have ever said to me, "Hey, Aldo, would you like to go and take over the world's largest orthopedic company?" And by the way, you're going to have to deal with a pandemic. <laughs> Yeah, you know, right. I, I, I probably would have thought twice about it. Um, but I think I think the, the answer to your question is, is is absolutely what you already mentioned is the first thing is I think you've got to break down the problems that you have into into things that are digestible, because right now the magnitude of the issue is so big that you could get you could very easily get swept away by just the magnitude of the problems that are in front of you. So I think what we try and do right now, at least on the medical device side, is we are geared up for 
really thinking through what are the immediate problems that we have to solve in the next 30 days? Things like, you know, providing PPE for our reps. How do we keep our reps safe in the operating room? What is going to change or what do we, what do we think is going to change in terms of access for those, uh, for those reps to get into the, uh, into the surgical environment? So we're just trying to break it down into, into those elements. And then the other ones is financially, what do we need to do to make sure that we are obviously being you know, fiscally prudent in an environment where, the, where we don't really know what is actually going, going to happen? So right. for us, the, the health and safety of our employees and ensuring that we make sure that they are kept whole and number two, that they're kept safe is probably the most predominant thing we've been focused on over the last, let's say, 60 days. Okay. And then how do you look at it? Um, and I know you don't have a crystal ball, right? Um, I'm on the phone constantly all day talking to people about, you know, what, what is the future going to look like? Nobody has an answer. Um, do you have an idea of what six months from now is going to look like compared to today? Well, look, here's what I would tell you. And I don't, as you said, I don't think anybody has a crystal ball. But I think, you know, one can, uh, you know, I think there are, are things that we have to, also acknowledge the environment is going to remain complicated. There's no doubt the world, there's no, I think some people think that we're going to go back to the world, the world that we saw before. I'm not one of those people. I think there's going to be a new normal. There's already a new normal, but I do not think that our world in medical devices is going to be the same world that we left behind, let's say three months ago. I agree. So, so I think some things in that pattern are definitively going to change. For example, telemedicine is here to stay. There's no going back. Are we going to have human interaction? Of course. But it, to think that we are going to go back to a world where, you know, the practices of physicians are, you know, we're bogged down by the face-to-face component. I think everybody has seen that telemedicine can drive a different type of approach. So I think we all in medical devices have to understand that our world is going to transform itself digitally. And if we're not prepared to transform, we're probably going to be left behind. Yeah. So no, that's, that, that's one thing that's, in my mind, that's one thing that's for sure. Now, when you say that, though, uh, and I agree with you, I actually um, put a podcast out just recently with a, with a doctor here out of Chicago, who, Dr. Lyle Berkowitz, who's he's a um, family practitioner, but he's been in the IT side of healthcare since his uh, medical school days. And he's always been the guy joining practices saying, let me run the IT, telemedicine, um, you know, so Obviously, and I did that because I, I received a lot of messages, texts, emails, and, and LinkedIn stuff about, hey, can you talk to somebody about telemedicine? And his, what we discussed w- with him was on the evolution of um, telemedicine and, and the pandemic and where we are today, but it was more from the provider to the patient, right? Um, mm-hmm. how, and, and that's what it is. Are you thinking um, telemedicine... From a from you know the Cynthia's Depew organization, is there going to be a component that you're going to have to take part in and yeah. help drive that? Yeah, Ab- absolutely. I what mean, does that it, right? look like for you? That's fascinating. So I'm glad. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, think about it, Jim. Right, right now, you know, we've left it up to all their own devices for doctors to engage with patients. Right, they don't have the proper tools. They are using different vehicles to do it, whether it be Microsoft Teams or Skype or, or Zoom or whichever. Um, or teledoc or whichever the, the vehicle is, but the, inside those vehicles, the, the surgeons or the doctors are not necessarily prepared for how to have a digital review with a patient. So, you know, companies like ours, we need to help doctors be better equipped to have that, ha- to how to handle a digital visit. 
you know, for example, when a patient says, hey, you know, the doctor says, hey, I'd like to see your scar, and the patient has to zoom in on their, on their knee or hip or whatever, I mean, that's not an easy thing to do for somebody who's in their 60s, 70s, and that, that's, I mean, that's problematic. So there, there are things, then how do you help a patient understand if they're going to surgery, you know, if you can't see them face-to-face, for example, or if the primary, or if the first visit is going to be digitally, how do you prepare somebody for the eventuality they may have to have surgery? What sort of educational materials can you provide them with? You know, so I, I think the world of digital is going to evolve to a connected ecosystem of, of engagements where telemedicine is a component, but there's probably going to be some work up front that the patients will have to do differently. Maybe the companies can assist with that. You know, then when the telemedicine appointment is set inside the telemedicine appointment, there's going to have to be things that we do to help physicians navigate digitally engaging with, uh, with patients. Once they go to surgery, that's obviously more of the traditional setting, but then post-surgery, rehab, all of that, you know, the new norm isn't going to be like what it was before where you go see a physio and you go back and do your three month, six month, et cetera. You know, I had a, uh, I had myself a surgery and, um, you know, I had to go back and do my six month post-op and I didn't go because I didn't want to go to the doctor at that moment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, all of this is going to be very different. So I think companies are going to have to figure out which steps they can actually help assist inside that digital journey and where does it make sense for a company to help and where does it not make sense to make the whole system more efficient yeah no i agree great stuff so yeah and you said so i agree with you the environment is not going to be the same right so you talked about telemedicine earlier you talked about you know with your reps and getting access i'm there is a lot of conversation and you know this um that is going around about, oh my gosh, how are our reps going to have access to whether it's the doc's office and, and having meetings there or uh, meeting mm-hmm. in, the, uh, uh, in the operating room, in the hospital. Mm-hmm. What, what are your thoughts on that? Well, look, again, it's hard to predict what will sure. happen, but, I, but I, think, I think it's prudent to say that in the new world, most likely, you know, the access that we, well, for sure, the access that we had before is probably not going to be the same. So we could all assume that perhaps hospitals are going to have more stringent rules around who can be in which operating rooms. Perhaps we won't even be able to have, you know, reps going in from one room to the other. We don't know yet, right? So I think it is prudent to also think that at some point there may even be a uh, telemedicine or a virtual rep that has to be provided to assist in that operating room at distance. Yeah. So I think it's prudent for all of us to think of what, what that will look like. So, so Aldo, there's a, a, some of my, um, you know, podcasts, I'm trying to promote the city of Chicago because there's a really strong med tech device um, incubator community here. And so I met um, uh, a CEO back in February and her name is Jennifer Freed and she started a company called um, Explorer Surgical, and she has created a virtual rep platform. And I, she, she actually walked me through it a couple weeks ago, and I was taken aback about how awesome it was. And her phone—I mean, she, it's a small company, you know, twenty people—but the, the phone is ringing off. Lucian, and if you think about it, 
the solution that she was bringing was needed anyways, but because of COVID, it's now not a nice to have, it's a must have. Mm -hmm. So um, I should send you some information about it because I think it's, I think they're going to take the world uh, by storm because I agree with you. I was talking to some um, folks that are in the cardiac business and they were not allowing the reps into the um, cath lab. They had to stay outside the cath lab and uh, communicate from outside on a, on a, a FaceTime or, or a mm-hmm. Skype video, right? And, mm-hmm. and that's just a platform. But it was like, wow, that was quick. And then, then they were saying, we, we might not even have you come in. You can do this at home, right? Yeah. In your car, you know? And so, I, I, no, I agree. And I think this, the telemedicine piece, the virtual rep piece because of access. And we all know hospitals have been trying to limit the rep access for 30 years. And yeah. now this is, I don't want to say, you know, the, the political term, don't let a great you know, crisis go to waste, but this is something in which is probably, like you said, prudent um, to start thinking about uh, how this environment is going to change via that access point. I went, I went and had uh, blood taken, you know, for a checkup and uh, I walk into, walk in the office, right? Nobody's in the waiting room. I see two, two people behind the desk um, checking me in and I don't see anyone else. And so I ask, I go, are you busy? And they're like, well, sort of, kind of. And I'm, well, what does that mean? Well, we're doing telemedicine appointments, telehealth appointments. And so we're kind of busy that way, but you know, not with patient flow. And I think I was the only patient there and you know, walked back to the lab, got my blood and left. I never saw another person. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 was, I was looking at this going, this is probably the new norm. You know, somewhere, you know, the pendulum will swing somewhere back, but it'll never get back to where it was, I don't think. So, I agree. So, we talk telemedicine, uh, rep access, remote type uh, reps. Um, what else? What else do you think the environment well, is going to change? I mean, two, two other things. One, um, look, I think it's, it's, you know, we just acknowledged you went in to get blood. I had a post-op. I didn't go and do it. I did it virtually. I think it is prudent again to, I used to use prudent because again, the world is so, is so dynamic right now. And it is prudent to think that a lot of patients are either going to be in a position where they do not want to go to a healthcare setting because they're afraid or two, they have economic issues that preclude them from going to uh, the, you know, to, to get a, a visit from a doctor. I think it is prudent for all of us to start thinking about what does the world look like in an environment where we have to help patients overcome those fears. And so now we're talking about more consumer centricity. So again, I wouldn't say that, you know, hospitals and doctors and companies and and medical devices are experts at that, but I happen to know some companies that are, because I work for one, (laughs) that are experts at that. So I, I would tell you that there is a lot you can do to help consumers overcome certain fears. Like for example, the fear of putting a contact lens in your eye is a real issue. And, and especially now with COVID, you know, dirty fingers, you put your contact lens in your fingers, you know, that's obviously, you know, something that we have to help patients overcome. Same thing for surgery. So I think it is prudent for all of us to think that we are going to have to shift from companies that rely more on the hospitals generating, you know, the, the flow of patients to helping hospitals where we can legally to, to assist them in helping the public return to a new normal of 
where they can feel feel confident that they can be taken care of without running any risks. Yeah, no, I agree. What's the next one? So the next one I would say is is around the the, the financial capabilities or the settings um, of these hospital providers. You know, I think we all recognize that, you know, the new normal, assuming that COVID is here to stay for a while, that the hospitals are going to have to morph how they operate. So they're going to be less efficient. And in that, in that, you know, in that inefficiency, there's going to be some financial burden. And as a result, I'm sure you've heard, there is a movement towards more specialized hospitals and perhaps ASCs. Well, if that is the, if that's the new reality, as companies, we have to prepare for what that looks like. How do we adapt ourselves to, you know, serving an ambulatory surgical center, which is quite different from serving a large hospital? And I think our sales forces, our operating models are all going to have to transform themselves to this new norm um, so that we can service them expeditiously, accurately, but also, you know, cost efficiently. And I think that's, um, that's very different from where we were. We all knew the movement was afoot to go to ASCs, for, especially for some of our businesses. But I think that just got hyper-accelerated. Absolutely. It was, uh, you know, talking about this, I was at a startup company called Intellis Stryker just recently, well, last two, three years acquired them. And we took ENT procedures from the OR into an office-based procedure. And over time, over seven years, we went from doing these simple balloon sinuplasties. Johnson & Johnson has a, a company called yeah. Acclarent, yeah. right? Acclarent. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And, um, and so we, we successfully built that office-based market. And I believe, too, not only from the hospital to ASC, but ASC to an office-based setting um, where, where innovation will take place. Because you're, you're never going to do a cervical fusion in an office. But um, there are procedures that I believe are going with the bright minds and these great entrepreneurs out there um, that are going to figure out ways to even move things into that office space even more. I just I think it's going to happen. Um, so, no, I agree with you. Now, every there's a lot of talk. There's a, you know about the changes. And you, you laid out the four. What do you think won't change? I think that's just as important. Yeah. Look, I do. I do. I think that you know we are not going to benefit from the, the the incredible partnerships that we've had in medical devices with our surgeons to innovate. No. Do I think that's going to change? No. The way we do innovation might change, but that I, I don't think that you know most of our businesses, you know, not all of them, but most of them have very strong foundational relationships that are at the at the you know at the foundation of everything we do. In our case, in my business, that you know it's it's surgeons um, for the most part, um, and you know I don't think that's going to change. I think it's a relationship business. It's going to stay a relationship business. Are the relationships going to change? Yes. But I don't think our pace of innovation is going to slow down. In fact, I think it's going to accelerate. And I think in order to do that, we're going to still benefit from the incredible help we've had from, from physicians and surgeons worldwide. I don't think that's going to change too much. I, the other thing I don't think is, is going to change too, too much, I don't think, is um, we are in the, in the business. I'd like to say that you know, our company, in this case, the Pucentes, is not made of products. It's made of people. And those people are here to serve. We're in the service business. We're sure. not in the... We don't, we don't sell products, we sell service. And so not only are the relationships on the side of, um, you know, innovating going to stay the same, I actually think that the relationships with our sales representatives are going to stay strong. Probably modified, but they're still going to be there. Sure. So I don't think that's going to change too much. Um, I, I do think that the scale um, of which 
you know, in terms of geographic expansion. So I do think one thing that is going to get scrutinized more is where do we geographically expand and with what? You know, I do think um, the one thing that I do think is going to change is, is perhaps the capability of different healthcare systems to afford care. And I think that's going to that's going to force us to be very, very diligent about where we where we expand and how we expand. So I do think that's going to change. Okay. All right. Fair. So you mentioned, um, you know, innovation and, and working, you know, with the marketplace and the surgeons on innovation. So what are you most excited about right now um, that's taking place in orthopedics? What, what are the areas that people should be paying attention to? Yeah, look, it's hard, it's hard to, uh, it's hard to encompass uh, an answer that, you know, for, for a business that has, that spans seven or eight different platforms, sure. but I'll give it my best, my best shot. Sure. You know, I think when I think about, you know, there are a number of different fronts that, that I think are very exciting. First of all, I think this leap into digital is, is a, is a super exciting front and, and digital surgery by digital surgery, I don't mean robotics. I actually mean the episode of care. I think as I already alluded to, um, you know, without wanting to, you know, stay somewhat, you know, within the boundaries of what I do, you know, I think I've already alluded to the fact that, you know, we're thinking of the world as a digital world. And in that digital world, we see numerous steps where we can create products. And now I'm talking about digital products that can facilitate the surgical care journey. And so one of those um, is, a, is a, of course, intraoperatively a robotic uh, assisted surgery, which we're working on for everybody knows public knowledge that we're working on a, on a knee robot. Um, but that's an exciting proposition because it takes what used to be a very manual surgery to know a high precision surgery that can be done extremely efficiently. Um, and our particular robot is, is very fast. It's very, um, it's, a, it's affordable, but it's also very uh, portable. So that portability is going to fit very well with the environment that I just, sure, you know, that we just talked about. So that's super, super exciting for us. Um, the other thing that I would tell you is, is very exciting is the ability for us to to combine our capital footprint in, an, in a way where we can sort of help healthcare providers now look at the world, not just by product, but products. You know, we have a fairly large capital footprint and, and by digitizing the way these different capital equipment pieces work with each other, we're able to not only provide a piece of capital equipment, but also the infrastructure digitally for the pieces to talk to each other. And uh, that's very different from the way it was before, you know, you sold an arthroscopic tower, and then the next division sold the robot, and the next division sold the power tool. But you know, the future is to have a fully integrated series of ca- pieces of capital equipment that are all they're all talking to each other, or at least using the same digital infrastructure behind it. And that's extremely um, exciting for us. And then third, I would tell you that you know we made a very large acquisition as as Johnson and Johnson. We we acquired a company called Oris. Yep. And as you probably know, recently we also made an acquisition from Google, which is called Verb. And, you know, those two acquisitions coupled with the orthopedic robot, robot I talked about put us in a position to have a very, very strong robotic capability now that we've never had. So, you know, we, we probably would have been, it would have been a very difficult task for us to build that by ourselves. But these three acquisitions have enabled us to be uh, very different in terms of robotics and digital than we were even a year ago. So it's very exciting for us right now that we, we can lean into this new capability and, and speed it up. Yeah. So let's talk about robotics because um, I agree with what you're saying in the integration of all these technologies into one sort of, you know, orthopedic suite component in which everything's talking to each other is fantastic. Um, but let's talk about robotics in general. It mm-hmm. where, What percent of the market, and, and let me just 
stick with um, joints and spine maybe. And in that side of robotics, what percent of procedures are going to be done in the future with robotics? Because um, there's so many different opinions out there. I'm just wondering what your perspective is. Yeah. Look, I think my perspective is I, I don't look at it just as the robot, but you know, I'll try and answer your question. I, I think if you're asking me how, you know, what percent of procedures are going to be done through a, a digital means, I would say that upwards of 60% are going to be done with a digital means. And when I say digital means, I mean a semi-automated or a fully automated you know, approach to surgery. So our hip, our hip approach is a semi-automated. We have a navigation system coupled with a power tool that is semi-automates the procedure. So that's for me semi-automation. A robot okay. is a full, full automation. Um, but I would say that in the future, um, assuming that these devices are fast and efficient, which they're not currently, I would say that upwards of 60% of the surgeries that are primary surgeries are going to be done with some sort of digital footprint behind it, um, of which the predominant part will be robotics. But, you know, again, there is a caveat. If they're efficient and if they're portable and if they're affordable, because yeah. I can tell you COVID is going to make people look twice about the affordability of big pieces of capital. Yeah, I, w- I was reading an article in MedTech Strategist, an online magazine, and they there was, uh, I don't remember who wrote the article, but they were interviewing somebody in the healthcare space, and um, they did a bunch of research, and they reached out to 100 hospitals, asked them a bunch of questions, and they asked, where are you with your large capital purchases, such as robotics, 100% of the hospital said they are on hold for now for the foreseeable future. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Of course. Right. And you're like, yeah. So, so I, so I agree. I mean, when the new norm comes back, we'll get there, but it, it's interesting because you'll hear about robotics in almost every specialty that is out there. And I just don't believe the healthcare system can afford to have robots doing everything. Um, but right. Do you, do you, what are your thoughts on that? I agree. I agree, hundred percent. I think it's. I think it's going to be difficult to see how we reach a level of efficiency that uh, can satisfy the the financial needs of the healthcare system with the current setup of robots that we have. But I do think that we are. I do think that we are going to get there in the very near term to have robots that have the capability to be much faster, much more efficient, much more affordable. And and if we if we get there as an industry, then we will see a significant increase. If we don't, then I would say that you know, we're probably going to be status quo. But uh, I'm rather bullish on, on the digital front. I have to say, I've seen things in the last year that I never thought were possible become possible. And I think, um, you know, we are going to get there. Okay. No, that's great. No, it's exciting to hear that stuff. Um, now, let's, uh, so I, I appreciate you sharing all this information, your knowledge. I also want to talk about some of the stuff that you do for um, outside of J&J that you do for um, uh, the Florida, University of Florida healthcare or um, university system in Florida. Um, yeah. why if, tell us what you do and how you're well, involved. So, yeah. So listen, again, you know, life takes you in very different directions. Um, my, my daughters are both uh, at Florida State University. And um, I got to know some of the professors of the business school there, and I've been um, very, very lucky to be involved with Florida State's uh, business school, um, mostly because, you know, my, you know, my desire at some point is to then start giving back to, to the community. And my way of doing that is, is twofold. One, I, you know, I do contribute to some charities, but the predominant way in which I want to spend my time is to actually help young people prepare for the future. And, you know, 
even pre-pandemic, you know, um, our our younger population right now is is at a crossroads. I mean, we have a a generation that is coming that needs help and guidance. And you know, I never got guidance uh, or the guidance that I wanted to have when I was young. And I I feel it's my obligation to try and help as many people as I can as I prepare for their future. So um, I was mentoring and I continue to mentor a, a number of students at Florida State. And uh, as of uh, just two weeks ago, I'm, I'm very fortunate that I've been elected to the Board of Governors of, uh, of the Business School at Florida State. So now um, with that assignment, I'm going to try and help uh, the university mostly to just uh, reach out to students and just further, first of all, of course, further the name of the, of the university, but more importantly, just help students connect to different experiences so we can prepare them and, and, and mentor them, frankly, do what we're doing right now on this podcast, which is to just take them through how to interview, how to prepare for life, how to prepare for different challenges. And so I'm going to devote uh, um, you know, my time to that. That's great. No, that's awesome. Giving back like that. Okay. So now we're talking, you know, uh, uh, about, you know, college grads. This is a terrible time to be graduating from college. Um, mm-hmm. What advice are, do you have for these recent college graduates? Yeah, you know, it, it's what I, I tell my own my own people inside the company. I think right now, you know, obviously, if you have, in, in my mind right now, if you have the luxury of taking a pause, I would, I would recommend taking a pause, you know, in the sense that, you know, if there's something that you wanted to do in life and you can afford to do that, to take a break and, and think about, you know, doing that. So a gap year. And even if that gap year means, you know, further studies or taking a slightly different direction, I, I think right now is such a dynamic time that these poor young people that are trying to go out into the world, you can imagine, you know, with the kind of unemployment we're seeing, you know, that's not the best. If, however, if you cannot afford to do that and you cannot take a pause, and I would also, what I would say is, you know, be, think out of the box. Because right now, everybody is still thinking in the box that existed four months ago. Sure. And I think right now, you know, if you thought you were going to go into a certain direction, maybe, you know, open yourself up to multiple directions. For example, there are industries that are hiring. Amazon, some of the digital industries are not, they're not, they're not stopping. I mean, sure. in fact, they're going in, they're, they're aggressively expanding. So if you're in a, in a field or if you thought you were going into a field that is affected, perhaps think about fields that are not affected and take a departure from perhaps the route you were going to take and go explore something new for a while. And then you can always come back. But I think that would be one. And two, just um, be be dynamic in in your approach to how to network. I think right now networking, like we're doing right now, Jim, is probably the most predominant way by which you're going to find something in this in this crazy time, right? I think the traditional mechanisms of hiring through traditional means are all gone. The recruiting system is not running the way it used to. Um, so the internships are all, you know, they've evaporated. Yeah. So, I would say network like crazy, think out of the box and think about industries that are going to be benefiting from this particular, you know, situation. Yeah, no, I think that's great advice. Um, although I know my daughter, she's, you know, she just graduated and, um, she's still at school. She has an apartment. I was like in Illinois, we're locked down and we're having this conversation, you know, every day she's, like you, she's in a panic mode, right? She's, she's like, okay, I've graduated mm-hmm. and everything I had is gone. All my friends' opportunities are gone. What are you doing? It, and it's to what you said earlier, the advice that you got when you went over the consumer side is that slow down, 
so you can go fast, but let's think through this, uh, that exactly. everything that we can do. And my youngest daughter just started a blog. Um, now she didn't graduate. She's got another year, but she just started a blog reaching out and talking about her experiences. I was like, I'm very proud of her to do that. And, um, and now I just got to convince my oldest one to start getting a little bit, like you said, thinking out of the box and, uh, and getting more, um, uh, open to new ideas and new opportunities because you know how you have three daughters and um, my daughter came out, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to do it yeah, all focused and then it's gone in a second, right? It's just gone. Correct. Right? Yeah, and it's it's unfortunate, right? I think that's right now we just have to be like when I made the jump to vision care or consumer marketing, you know, I you're just going to have to think like that. Super lateral thinking, super networking and then just go and do things that perhaps even for a short period of time may not be done on your radar maybe not even what you want to do but i one thing i can tell everybody that's listening is every opportunity every experience always builds on some it always builds to something and even though sometimes in life it's not exactly what you wanted to do later on you always take an extract experience from that from from that moment and so i think that's the way we have to think right now everything we're experiencing right now is building towards something that is going to be, we're going to benefit from. May not feel that way right now, but it will. Yeah. You know, uh, I was going to ask you what your departing thoughts were. And I think, and I know your, your time is valuable and you have to get going. I think that's a great way to, um, to conclude this podcast is we're going through some tough times, but we're going to come out better, stronger, wiser because of it. Um, Aldo, anything else you'd like to share before, uh, before we depart here? No, listen, I think the most important thing is, first of all, uh, I'm very honored that I get to spend a bit of time uh, with you and your audience, Jim. It's important to connect right now, which is why I was so passionate to do this. Number two, please, for everybody listening, stay health and safety and safe. And please be, you know, be mindful of, of opening your mind to opportunities. This is a very difficult time for all of us. But I do know that there is going to be a, a resu- you know, resolution to this problem and that we all just have to band together so that, in the end, we are going to come out of this stronger, as you said. And I think that is the one thing that we all have to just um, really make sure that we keep thinking positively. But number two, that we also look to the future. Because if we think about today, things can get very dark very quickly. So for me, the advice I have for everybody is think about tomorrow and the day after and maybe even six months down the road. Because I know that the world we're going to see in the future will be full of opportunities. And that's what I think we've got to focus on. Great. That's a great way to end it, everyone. Medical Sales Nation, you can find Aldo on LinkedIn. He he posts, he puts content out there. Please follow him. It's worth it. Aldo, once again, thank you so much for taking the time. I know you're a busy guy to do this, and I know the Medical Sales Nation appreciates it as well. Absolutely. It's a pleasure, Jim. Thanks. All right. As Aldo said, stay positive. Look forward um, to, uh, to the future. Open yourself up to opportunities. And be safe and hang tough. Until next time, good luck with everything that's going on.